you so much for joining us this week at Zion City Church with teachings from Pastor Andrew Rael. We believe that God still speaks through His Word and His people. So right now, lean in and listen to the Holy Spirit. We hope that this message encourages you, inspires you, and brings you into a deeper love and worship of Jesus. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Zion City Church. I was sitting at a Starbucks studying a couple years ago, and it's always interesting to me um, the looks that I get when I choose to study in public. Um, either people will be like genuinely intrigued because uh, the Bible doesn't look like any other book. <laughs> you know, it's pretty noticeable when it's there on the table, and I'm not shy about it. Um, and so I usually get some different looks. I usually get some interesting conversations. Uh, that's why I don't study in public as much anymore, just because uh, it can sometimes be a distraction. But one time, a gentleman stops me. And he asked me, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing and what's going on there. And so we begin to, like, spark up a conversation. I explained to him that I'm a pastor here in our city. And he asked me, well, what kind of church do you pastor? And I thought about his question for a little while. And I know what he meant. He wanted me to, like, give a denomination or, like, a fragment of the church that we belong to. But if I was just honest with him, there's not really a segment of the church that I feel that our church properly aligns with. Um, there's not a, a, a fragment, a section, a, a group of, of the church that I think that we fit within. I mean, there's certain categories that people would put us underneath, um, but I just felt like none of those really fit us quite well. Because as a church, we have endeavored not to subscri- subscribe to any brand, but to learn and glean from the best of every expression of the church. And there's this scene in The Office. If you have watched the show, you know it's hilarious, but... Uh, Michael uh, is what's experiencing what's known to the office as pretzel day, where uh, a vendor would come in, a baker would come in and offer, offer free complimentary soft pretzels to the whole office park. And so suddenly an announcement comes over the, uh, the, uh, the PA system, free pretzels down in the lobby, and everyone just like rushes down there, right? And the second that him and another gentleman get down there named Stanley, there's this massive line right? And so it's a free pretzel day, so people start to get a little cutthroat. People are cutting, and people are moving them back in line and all this other stuff. And so Michael waits for this long line, and he finally gets to the front of the line. And he's so excited, he, and he's, he's worried slightly that all these people before him have taken all the sweet options for his pretzel. And so he asks, are there any sweet options left? And he says, absolutely, you're in luck. And he's like, well, what do you have? And he begins to go through the list. He says, we have sweet glaze, cinnamon sugar, chocolate, white chocolate, fudge, M&Ms, caramel dip, mint chip, chocolate chip, marshmallows, nuts, toffee nuts, coconut, peanut butter drizzle, Oreo sprinkles, cotton candy bits, and powdered sugar. Some of you are hungry now. And you see that as the list is running down, Michael's eyes light up at the possibility of what is available to him. And what he utters out of his mouth is this, is there any way I can have them all? And he responds, the works, you got it, right? And so I don't know in terms of flavors how well that went together, but that desire of like, we want the best of all is kind of the heart posture that we have at Zion. We believe that there's so much tradition and beauty to learn from the larger body of Christ that to fit us in one small fragment seems to just be turning away from so much beauty that is involved in the church. 
And so there are things that we feel are specific to us and to our calling that we are to live out. And there's other churches in our community who live out other aspects of the church in much better ways. But if there were some words to describe the kind of church that, that, that we lean towards, it is from the framework of the charismatic and contemplative movements in the church. Both of these movements find their origins in the life and ministry of Jesus and have a rich tradition throughout church history from Pentecost moving forward. And so I briefly want to talk about these two traditions. The first is that of charismatic. Now, this tradition is steeped in the reality of encountering God through our experience of his manifest presence. Now, when I say manifest presence, we know that God is present everywhere. But manifest presence is our, our moments where God reveals his presence to us clearly. And when we say charismatic, what we mean is that we believe the Holy Spirit is moving through the church through the gifts that he gives. The word gifts in the Greek is the word charisma, where we get the word charismatic. And the root word here is the word charis, which is the word for grace. So these are literally gifts of his grace. And they're categorized into three expressions. First is ministry gifts, like that of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. There's motivation gifts such as prophecy, serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leadership, and mercy. And there's manifestations of the Spirit like wisdom, knowledge, discernment, faith, miracles, healing, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Now, we're going to have a conversation about all those later in the series. But right now is just an introduction into these ideas. And so this history of the charismatic tradition is to prioritize, preserve, and insist on the manifest presence of God for the church today. That's the framework of the charismatic. The next is that of contemplative. Now, this tradition is steeped in the reality of encountering God through practices. Uh, practices have also been come, be, come to be known as spiritual disciplines. And they look something like silence, community, prayer, Sabbath, simplicity, fasting, scripture, vocation, and hospitality. And all of these are born out of a robust theology and love of the scriptures. And what these practices do is they realign us with reality. They train us in truth and they form us into the image of Jesus. And it is these two traditions that we feel closely aligned to. Now, in previous generations, these two segments of the church have been divided but I, along with so many emerging pastors and leaders in our moment, are asking the same question. Why can't we have both? Why can't we have both the charismatic and the contemplative existing within one body? And I would contend before you this morning that the only way the church moves forward is with both. And here is something we must understand. What got us here will not take us where God wants to bring us. Brothers and sisters, we find ourselves at a pivotal moment a crucial moment in church history where we are quickly realizing the systems and structures that we've relied heavily upon for the last couple of decades do not have the capacity and durability to carry us into the future. The model of church that has been repeated and popularized is not tenable for the future, and the proof is just in the data. We are experiencing radical, irreversible decline, bar a move of God, and a failure of discipleship Revealing that what we do are doing right now isn't working. 
Now, this is not to say that the church modifies and changes itself to the culture around us, but it's rather to say, have we adopted a church model that was formed and shaped by something other than what the New Testament and the scripture authors provided for us as a template to live into? And that's the more important question that we must be asking. And so, over the last several decades, there has been an unnecessary divide among the church, which are known between spirit churches and word churches. You've probably heard some of this language before. And so I want to talk about both briefly for a moment. There is that of spirit churches. So these would be those who are all about the power of God moving in their midst. Now, I need to be honest. There are a shadow side to both fragments of the church that we need to acknowledge, right? And so the shadow side to the spirit-only framework is that often they lack theological depth that gives shape to what the spirit does, right? Spirit churches can often be all about experience, right? It's all about how we feel. Dim the lights, hit the fog machine, play the C chord, and make me cry in Jesus' name, right? It's like that's how we know the spirit is here. And that's the, the drawback, the downfall is that spirit churches often make things about experience. When there's no theological framework for your experience, it all becomes subjective. Pastors and preachers come up and teach about visions, dreams, impressions, prophetic insights, and always conform the text to their perspective. So they have a dream about something, flip through the scriptures to find something that maybe slightly resembles the dream and teach out of that and say, this is what God's saying to you. Ignoring context, ignoring hermeneutics, ignoring sound biblical theology and just saying, it's what I feel, right? It's how the Spirit's leading. There's not a lot of preparation and diligence to go through the text and understand the historical context, biblical author intent, none of that. It's just, does it sound good to me? I'm going to preach it, right? Not realizing that the text you could be doing is maybe uh, not in its context, etc. And so we see this expressed in the worst of Pentecostalism, right? And I'm sure many of you have seen YouTube clips, right, of what that can look like. And so the spirit churches, their endeavor, their heart posture is good and that they want to encounter the power of God. But often a downfall with being just a quote-unquote spirit church is there's a lack of theological depth. And here's what happens. When everything becomes subjective, it becomes really dangerous. There's not these parameters that kind of establish and set guard to in explaining things. A good way to think about this is this. They are, they're, they're, they're so... Uh, consumed with experience and power and presence, but there's not knowledge behind that. I want you to imagine you're sitting in a room with somebody you don't know, right? That experience might feel kind of creepy if you were honest a little bit, right? Because there's no knowledge, relationship, context there to that relationship. There's just experience what you're having, so it can feel awkward or uncomfortable. And had you known the person but there's no experience behind it, there's no love, there's no words given, there's nothing like that. That would be awkward as well too. Presence requires both explanation, teaching, and power and presence, right? So that's the spirit churches. The opposite side is that of word churches. And these are people who deeply love theology, exposition, and information. Now, I want to be honest with you. I come out of a word church. That's kind of the, the framework that I came out of. And let me tell you this. I love a good exposition, man. Oh, man, you get, you get in the text, give me the word. You know what I'm talking about? I love that. 
And I have, I'm so thankful for the heritage of word churches. And, and so much of our experience of church in the West has been formed by the word church movement. Now, with them, there's no hype. There's no experience. There's just truth. And when there's no personal encounter or space for the spirit to move, what often happens is it becomes cold, lifeless orthodoxy. And the worst of this is seen in the worst of evangelicalism. And oddly enough, these two traditions are at war with one another, right? You hear these churches talk about one another, and it's like this. You ask a spirit person, oh, what do you think about that church? Oh, man, no room for the spirit, dead, lifeless, right? Cold, not want, no, want, don't want no part of it. You ask the word church about the spirit church, it's like, no truth. Where's the scriptures? Give me the book, you know? And they're both kind of at war with one another, and it doesn't make any sense as to why that is why they would be uh, faced towards one another. A word picture I want you to have in your mind is that of a fire, right? A fire without form, without being held within a fireplace is what? Dangerous. We're experiencing that right now in our very own state. And this is what it's like to be a spirit church without the confines and beauty of the word that gives protection, structure, insight into the power of God. Now, a fireplace without fire is what? Cold. Lifeless, doesn't bring warmth or goodness. It's just kind of there, existing. Both are needed. Both form and fire are needed. And I believe that following Jesus requires both from us. And here is what we are experiencing. Being an either-or church leads to shallow discipleship. We have people who are filled with information because it can exposit the Greek, the Hebrew, or whatever, but it does not lead to intimacy with Jesus. They don't look like their lives have been changed by the person of Jesus. Their life lacks power. And we've, we've examined thoroughly in the scriptures that where the kingdom of God is follows power. What does Paul say? That the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of what? Power. But the flip side of that is that we, are people, we have people who are filled with experience but have no theology. And Jesus says that we are to be people of truth. And he says the, the word is truth. And so both are equally dangerous and both lead to shallow discipleship. And both, if I'm honest, lead other than, uh, somewhere other than Jesus. If we're always looking for further explanation, further insight, further knowledge, always looking for a new experience, a new wave, we're going away from Jesus and not towards the person that the scriptures testify to and that the spirit testifies to who is Jesus. So what is the way forward? I would contend before you this morning, the future is ancient. The future is ancient. Aware of our powerlessness, against the powers that be that all of us experience in either one or the other church we begin to look for worldly power to give us the things that we need notice what paul tells the galatians he says are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh specifically he's talking about them turning towards legalism and I think the church does the same thing when we look towards worldly power to give us authority, to give us security, to give us peace about the future. And I think this is something that we are experiencing right now in the life of the Western church, that the Western church is looking towards other power to be that which sustains and helps the church. We are seeing a wave 
of Christian nationalism sweeping through the church. We are seeing a wave of hyper-progressive theology sweeping through the church, both at the same time, both pulling in opposite directions. And the church is at whim to either or power. And this reminds me of a moment in history. I want to turn our attention to that of the Roman Empire and the early church. So the church is birthed at Pentecost, and the word of God goes out, and so many are coming to faith. So much so that the national religion of, 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 the, of, the, uh, of the Roman Empire becomes Christianity. They throw out their Roman gods, and they receive Jesus as Lord. And you might be thinking, when? We got them. Except what happens when the church gets in bed with political power is she loses her potency. And the church began to become more like the empire than the empire becoming more like Jesus. And slowly but surely, the church was conformed by the Roman Empire. And there were people writing at the time that they believed they were going to see the death of the church in their age in the 4th century. They believed that that's what was going to happen. Except it didn't. What happened instead? Well, a group, people we've come to know as the desert mothers and fathers, saw the idols of their age, saw the Roman Empire, saw the church being contaminated, diluted by the powers that be, and chose to resist instead. They're called the desert fathers and mothers because that's what they did. They moved out into the desert to resist the idols and powers that be. And this was happening kind of all over the Roman world at the time. And so they resisted the empire, went off into the desert to stare down the idols of their day. And the church made a turnaround. God breathed life back into the church because of these ordinary radicals who refused to bend to the pre-existing molds of their day and pursued where the spirit led them and where the word led them. And life was breathed back in the church. They were the first monks, mystics, and reformers. And I tell this story because I believe we're in a similar moment today in the West. And this is not necessarily the story for the global church, but it is the story for our context. That we are in need of ordinary radicals to do church differently. And I believe that that way forward is ancient. I, along with many others, believe that the way forward is not going back to a place of cultural Christianity where people are kind of born into faith rather, and it's a part of the larger climate, rather Christians have always flourished throughout history when they are the minority. And I think it's a good thing that cultural Christianity has died, that a genuine remnant will remain to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. There are some leaders, emerging leaders, who are saying tech is the answer, digital church, church in the metaverse, I might be an old soul, but I do not believe that it's the future. I think if there's one thing the pandemic taught us was that the desperate need we have for embodied connection. And if all church is is really good sermons and really good songs, you can get all of that off Spotify. What we need is an embodied community to belong to. And that looks like preaching sermons. That looks like singing songs, but it looks like more doing life together. And this was the expression of the early church. So I don't think that the future of the church is us all hopping on our computers and putting on our VR goggles and attending church that way. I think it is us embodied together, resisting the idols of our age. I believe the way forward is ancient, meaning that we will become a people who does not pick sides between word and spirit 
but allow both to form and shape us. I believe the way forward is both form and fire. Let's look at the words of Jesus. Jesus, in his conversation with the Samaritan woman, discussing the kind of worship that God looks for as they're debating back and forth between which mountain God receives worship from, Jesus tells her this, Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in Spirit and truth. Who does Jesus say the kind of worshipers he, the Father is looking for? What kind of worshipers are they? They are those who worship in spirit and in truth. I realize um, in the Come Holy Spirit series, there have been a little bit of a divide in the church, and not like a contentious divide. But as we begin this series, my more charismatic folk are like, bring it on, right? I've been waiting for this. And my more contemplative folk are like, give us the book, right? There's this kind of uh, tension arising within. But a biblical theology, and according to Jesus, it is both spirit and truth that are necessary. And this is the kind of worshipers that God is looking for. People who are committed radically to truth forming and shaping them. And people who are led, filled, and empowered by his Holy Spirit. We need both truth and the Spirit. Look at what Mark Sayer says. He says this, We need his fire to come, his empowering presence, to do what human strength cannot. We need his fire to come and to cleanse us and purify us, to accelerate our ministry and our mission. We need his fire to smash strongholds and to take the spiritual ground of the kingdom. Yet, we also need his form to to shape up we need holy patterns to remake us in christ likeness we need both form and fire and this is an invitation into the charismatic and contemplative life it is an invitation to a life consumed by god's empowering presence and it is also an invitation to a life shaped by the teaching and practices of jesus and I want to call our attention to a few scenes here in the scriptures with the time that we have left and then talk about what this might look like in our church. The first image I want to draw us to is that in Psalm 1. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the ways that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person, notice this, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So this is how the book of Psalms opens up with this promise of an individual who is planted by streams of living water, uh, streams of water bearing fruit in their life. And I believe here we get a beautiful image of both the charismatic and the contemplative. So I want you to notice first that the tree has been strategically planted by the water. This is not just a wild tree that just happened to be there by happenstance. No, an individual planted that tree near its life source, near the water. Now, ancient days agricultural. What they would do is they would kind of hewn out a canal, a small stream, off of the riverbank, 
and kind of eventually tie it back into the river. And along this stream, specifically plant fruit trees, plant different kind of trees that bring life and bring goodness forth. That was the way that they did agriculture back in the day. And so when the psalmist is saying this stream of water, he's specifically referring to an intentional formation of a canal that has been hewn out so that life could bring forth from it. This is the image of his game. And this is the image of the contemplative life. It is an intentional canal dug out in the life of a person so that water, life, can come to that and burst and bring forth fruit. And the wild, imaginative, beautiful fruit that bursts forth from the tree is that in life of, in the spirit. It is a life in power. And so here in Psalm 1, we see this beautiful image of contemplative, in a, strategic, a strategic canal dug out, patterns so that life can flow through it, truth can flow through it, to give life and resource to a tree that it may bear wild and beautiful fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. The next image I want to draw us to is that of Pentecost. Now, the Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2, and if we could be really honest, to a regular individual, what happens in Pentecost is kind of weird. And had you walked into our service this morning, you would have probably just walked right back out, right? So the, 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 the believers, are, the, the, the church is waiting for the promise of the Spirit. Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem. So they're all waiting for the Spirit. And suddenly, with a rushing wind, the Spirit falls on the disciples. And the text tells us that tongues of fire, which are little pockets of fire, are over every single person's head. Now this is all sorts of imagery drawing back to the temple, drawing back to God's presence, filling the temple. It's tying into the whole biblical narrative. I've done extensive work on this in other sermons. Go back and listen to those. But... We see that's happening, and then an outflow of that is all of the believers begin to speak in languages they do not know, and other people are able to understand the things that they're saying because they're speaking their native tongue. So imagine, you showed up to church late, right? Your alarm didn't go off, you had your cup of coffee, whatever. You walk in the door, and there's small flames of fire on everyone's head, and some people are speaking Japanese and Chinese and all these other languages, and you would just go... Wrong church, right? You would just dip right back out because you'd be like, that's weird. That's strange. Now, if that's all that happened at Pentecost, we would be confused as to like what that means, how that works, right? So what they encounter first is the power of God moving in their midst. But that's not where the story ends. What happens immediately after that? Peter grabs up, steps up and says, let me explain what just happened. So you're not confused about what just took place. He begins to provide teaching and explanation for what happens. He goes all throughout the scriptures, pointing to the reality back in Joel that God would pour his spirit on men and women and that would prophesy. And this is the fulfillment of that promise that the spirit has filled all of the believers in this miraculous moment. And so he gives teaching and explanation because everybody else in the room, you know what they're thinking? They're drunk. Something crazy is happening here, right? That's the only logical explanation they could have is that everybody here had a little too much communion or something like that, and they've all lost their minds. And Peter's like, no, they're not drunk. They are filled with the Spirit. And let me explain to you how. And walks through Joel 2, walks through the story and life of Jesus, and explains this. Now, if it just ended there, that might be enough. But then the church goes on at the end of Acts 2 to implement practices out of that power. Notice at the end of Acts 2, it tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, to meeting in one another's homes. There were these life of practices birthed out of power. And so here at Pentecost, we see all of this intact. 
We see the miraculous encounter of the power of God. We see teaching and explanation as to what's happening there. And out of the teaching and explanation flow practices in the life of the church that shape and form that community to harness that power. It is a container for that power. And so this community is marked by both power and practices. And this is my contention for us as the church this morning. That as we endeavor into the Spirit, right, and the last two weeks we've been talking about being filled with the Spirit, a theology of the Spirit, right? I think that first sermon was like close to an hour, sorry, right? But we've been really just dissecting and diverting and going all throughout this theology of the Spirit. And what I don't want us to have happen is us begin to just lean one way more than the other. Because as we see in the Scriptures, there's this beautiful balance of both Spirit and truth. And so for us... We want to adapt the model of both the charismatic and contemplative in the life of our church. Now, we want to build something here at Zion that lasts. When we first planted this church, uh, my wife and I and Jake and Ash, we didn't plant this church with thoughts of like, we want to build a really awesome church for us to go to, right? I think that was a, a desire somewhere within but when we planted this church, uh, my wife was pregnant with our firstborn, Ben. And God spoke very clear to me that this church was not going to be for me. It was going to be for him and the generations that follow after him. And so for that to happen, it's not built on the conviction of one or two or the commitment or sacrifice of one or two. It is uh, something that lasts is built when a community rallies around the vision that God pours out and decides to build into it. That Zion is so much bigger than me or Jake or any other talented leader here. It's built on what God is doing in our city. And for us to build something that lasts, it has to be both charismatic and contemplative. We both need the power and presence of God and the practices and teachings of Jesus. Now, one of the more radical things that happened in my life is that I told you, I came to, I came to, uh, I came to faith in a word church. Uh, all my life, I had been brought up in a word church, and then I came into faith in a word church, and man, I loved it. And I was following Jesus, and I was learning about the Greek and Hebrew, and I was learning about Paul's posture in Philippians, all about being content in Christ in Philippians chapter 4, and I could tell you all about that stuff, but it did not make me any less anxious you see, i had a lot of knowledge but i didn't have a lot of intimacy and there came this moment in my apprenticeship to jesus where i began to plateau i began to just be like what's going on i don't feel like i'm growing i don't feel like i'm changing i feel like i'm stuck and it didn't matter how many beautiful expositions i heard i needed something more and then it was brought to my attention jesus's words in the great commission Jesus' words, we all, we all famously know the Great Commission, Matthew 28, where Jesus sends out his, his disciples to go and to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? We all know that. But there's this line that we always forget where Jesus says to his disciples that they are to teach them, teach them to obey everything that he said. Now, I think sometimes the church confuses that to be teach them what he said, which is important and good, and we should teach what Jesus said. But more importantly, Jesus says, teach them to obey what they said. 
What I experienced was that I had knowledge and information, but I didn't have wisdom. I knew the what, I did not know the how. And so one of the things that we're deeply committed to at Zion is this of the contemplative life. That we teach people not just what Jesus said, the Greek, the Hebrew, all that. You'll get all of that. But more importantly, we teach you the how. How to live in the way of Jesus, just as he's commanded at the Great Commission. That we get practical handles from the life of Jesus on how he lived. That we glean from the life of Jesus all those ancient, beautiful practices to implement into our own lives to become more like him. Because isn't that the goal? To be more like Jesus? Not just to know more things about him, but to actually become like him. And the way we get there, and think about Jesus' uh, famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Do you know how he closes that? In Jesus' name. No, he closes that by saying that people who put these teachings into practice are like wise builders who build their house on the rock. But those who don't are like those who build their houses on sand and all of it's swept away. And I had realized that much of my discipleship was learning about Jesus and not putting them into practice. And so that's what we're committed to at Zion. But it's not just about straining and trying and practicing and training. It's also about empowering, being empowered by God's spirit to do the very things that he's called us to do. Because this is what Jesus has promised. As he's leaving his disciples, he's saying, don't do anything until you receive power from on high. Don't preach, don't talk, don't witness, don't set up a giving stand, don't do nothing until the Spirit comes. Because it's not just the practices that carries the church, it's the power that does that too. And both exist beautifully. If we're to keep with this image of the dove as the Spirit, one wing is form, the other wing is fire. Without one, the, the bird doesn't fly. The church doesn't progress forward. It doesn't move on. And if we keep with that metaphor, the fire, it's, a, it's the form of the fireplace and the, the power of the fire that gives warmth and beauty and goodness that flow out of that. And it's the tree that is planted near streams of living water that births forth new fruit. And so here at Zion, we need to be both. We need to be people who are rooted in the word, who know the word, who know truth, uh, Paul gives specific insight to the church in Corinth that they have been given power to demolish strongholds in their context. How? Through the truth of God's word. Jesus tells his disciples that the spirit will give them things to say to bring forth truth. Jesus says that he is truth. And so it's both power and practices, the truth and experiences both are necessary. And now we're going to land this plane and get you guys on to Mother's Day lunch and whatever that you have going on. But before we do, as we close this time, we don't want to be people who just hear the word and do nothing. I believe right now, God is calling for ordinary radicals. And I want to talk about what that means for a minute. First, ordinary I feel exactly how you feel. Like I'm just an average, regular, everyday person. Like I got bed head, bad breath sometimes, right? It's like I feel just average and normal most of the time. Most of my life is not me levitating. I don't have a halo. I don't come from my office with my face glowing like Moses. I'm just a regular, ordinary guy just like you, 
But there's, there's not a necessity for something more than that. Why? Because God uses broken and bent tools to build his kingdom. All the people God has ever used in the scriptures were ordinary people like you and like me. But he requires something of us and for us to be radicals. Now, this does not mean take to the streets, let them know, you know, or anything crazy like that. We're not going to all commit to the, this is not a, a, a meeting to all of us go live out in the desert like the desert mothers and fathers. But I believe God is calling us to be ordinary radicals in the places and spaces that we live. That we would be people who embody with our lives both form and fire, both truth and power. And that the worshipers, the kind of church that Jesus is looking for, that the Father is looking for now, is a church of both form and fire. And the way that the fire continues to go is not if one person commits to it, or two people, or five people, but a community of believers commit to seeing that happen in their midst. So what God is looking for today is an individual to say, here am I. Here I am. Let me be this. Let me be somebody who is both filled with truth and power. Would you stand with me? Today we stand on a heritage of faith. Men and women who have gone before us to pave the way for our church to be here today. We are standing and the prayers prayed generations ago that God would pour his spirit out. That people would come to know the truth. We are the embodiment of those answered prayers here and now. And right now, I just believe that God is stirring some individuals' hearts to say, I want to take part in this. I don't want to consign a generation to the powers that be. I don't want to just sit and wait and hope for the best. I want to be a person who takes part in what God is doing here. And this is the time of response. This is where we say, Jesus, we don't want to just hear your word. We want to obey and right now, I, I'm just sure that the Spirit is stirring people as the proclamation of the Word has gone forward into new life, into new obedience, into new faith, into new life. I believe He's stirring people. And if the Spirit is stirring you, we want to stand next to you. We want to pray alongside with you. We want to bless you. And so if the Spirit is speaking to you, I want to ask you to be bold and just come forward and receive prayer, receive love, receive blessing from some of the leaders up here. And as we worship, I just want us to invite this, just to invite the Spirit here. Holy Spirit, we come before you now. Would you fill us with your power and presence? In Jesus' name. To see all the new content coming from Zion City, follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. And to partner with us financially, visit our website at zioncitychurch.net.